0: If a label feels good to you and generative and juicy, enjoy that. And also, don't be so invested in that label that you create a mythology of yourself that isn't available for shifting and changing as you shift and change throughout the course of your life.
1: Hello, and welcome to fuck yeah the podcast where we say fuck yeah to gender doulas. I'm Robin, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with the impeccable Sarah. How are you today?
2: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good today. How are you doing?
1: I'm okay. I'm like, you know, doing the days. Yeah. <laughs> you have any fuck yeahs this week? <laughs> I do. And I've had
2: a little bit of a breakthrough with my shoulder. Oh yeah? Which has been really nice you know, I was in a very low moment when we last talked about it and just feeling a little helpless. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I did a juice cleanse and I posted about it on my Instagram. And it was the first time that I've had that experience of, I mean, maybe there was a quality to the post of like, seeking help because Mm. I just was sort of sharing about just hormonal changes and struggling and feel kind of in control of my body. And I got so many private messages from old friends Mm. and people with you know a, a friend who's a nutritionist and then a college friend who I literally haven't talked to in 20 years mm. who is a nurse practitioner getting certified as a menopause practitioner awesome because get this OBGYNs we'll get about 30 to 60 minutes of menopause training in medical school <sighs> <laughs> So to have a specialty in menopause, you have to go through an additional certification. And she has been so generous and has just been such a wealth of information. And yes, frozen shoulder is really common with women my age. Hmm. They don't know exactly why it's related to a loss in hormones. But I have started very low dose hormones and I'm not sharing this as like I'm not being a proponent of it. I'm not saying other people should do this. I'm just saying that this is something that became available to me through the kindness of friends and like, you know, a supportive network of women practitioners who showed up And Mm -hmm. it's making me for the first time feel a little bit in control of what's happening. I mean, aside from obviously I'm doing stretches and building my back muscles and doing all these things, but I'm thinking that I might have a little bit of an easier go through this menopause experience given the day and age that we're in, the ways in which there's starting to be more information not mm-hmm. just that terrible study that was released in the New York Times in the 90s, which made it so that all doctors were telling women that, you know, hormone replacement therapy could cause breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, I remember that. it was a
2: really harmful study and had really lasting impacts because there's a lack of training around these things.
1: So that came out when I was probably a teenager or something. I don't remember that it was the New York Times or anything, but I remember that was in the air. And I still have a thing of like, uh, I don't know, is that going to give me breast cancer? Yeah.
2: You know? Yeah. It was really harmful. And The lasting impact is kind of shocking how that sort of misinformation can continue Mm -hmm. to be promoted through medical professionals. And I'm not suggesting, you know, please talk to your medical professional. You know, hormones are not going to be the right fix for everybody. And who knows, like I might go down this path and realize like, Maybe there's going to be side effects that are difficult for me to manage, but I did a ritual bleed. Mm. I let mm. myself oh. have one last, ble- I don't know if it'll be my last bleed ever, but I you know, sort of had the option to start the... Birth control. It is a birth control that I'm... I'm not taking hormone replacement there because I'm not in full-blown menopause yet. But I Mm -hmm. am supplementing my estrogen and progesterone. And I did a bleed. I... Mm gave my blood to the plants sorry for anyone who thinks that's gross or creepy but it felt um I
1: don't creepy. think it's gross or creepy but I do want details what does that did you like diva cup into oh, your yeah. planters yes 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 yeah and what does that do for your plants do they love it I diluted
2: it into water I mean I guess I was thinking of it more as like a way of being in relationship with my plants. Like, I don't know if the iron really helps them. Like, I didn't do a ton of research on, you know, (laughs) giving your blood to your plants. But I have a kumquat tree that I planted it six or seven years ago, and it's only ever given me a few fruit. Mm. So I sort of, you know, I I gave my blood to it and, you know, an offering Mm. of like, I would love to have more fruit from you. Yeah. Here from is- the fruit of my body yes. to yours. Yes. And then I have a Monstera that when we moved, the movers left it outside. So it got really burnt. It's been struggling ever since. I gave her my blood and just said like, this is all I got for you. I really hope that this starts to help.
1: Well, I hope they appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to have a um, an update. Yeah, I'll, I'll report back. See if, if these plants are doing well with yeah. the blood of your loins, <laughs> the fruit of your loins. It's always made me mad. I mean, ever since I w- like, I, I didn't play any instruments when I was a teenager, but I always imagined myself in the band and I made up several band names and one of them was menstruation. Oh, yeah. I, I was just like, you know, that's just the band name because they always made, even though I felt shamed by it and everything and I acquiesced to that shame many times, it yeah. made me mad. So whenever somebody... When they speak about menstrual blood in a way that is derogatory or that it's gross or anything like that, I'm always like, Oh, you mean the better life? Oh, you mean like the place where you lived? For not you mean like the, the sweetest, most nurturing environment known to humans? That's what you're talking about? That was gross that you saw that one time? Fuck you. Um, By the way, I will say, I felt pretty proud of myself that I did just spontaneously. It felt like the right moment was just sitting around with my kids. And I was like, hey, guys, you know, there's probably some girls in Luca's class who's in the fourth grade now who have started menstruating already. And they were like, what's menstruating? And I was like, all right, well, you know, they know a little bit about it from the, the way they've seen with me and everything. And it turned into, let's go into the bathroom and look at all the different ways that you can contain period. We were putting tampons oh, under the, so great. under the sink. I have a, actually like a huge variety of stuff because I've just, I've transferred to using a cup and actually I barely use the cup anymore because I'm just doing a method of like getting up and going to the toilet because I work at home. Yeah. So oh. unless I'm going out of the house, I'm amazing. wearing like period underwear, and then, you know, you feel the deluge coming, and so I'll just be like, "Oh, time to get up." Oh, so this amazing. is period talk with yeah. Sarah and Robin, <laughs> and you are welcome for the destigmatizing that you just experienced. I'm not cutting it out.
2: <laughs> oh well, that was uh, I. I liked that little sidebar. That we had, yeah. let's talk about menstruation more. I actually feel a little bit better. No good. <laughs> yeah, you, you you sound you have a, a little bit of madness in your
1: in your voice and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm a little, I'm a little punchy. You're, I'm a little angry. You're fiery.
2: Today. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I love yeah.
1: It. I, it's not directed at anybody in this room. This is the space for it.
2: <laughs> I have a feeling that our guest today, though, might be a bit of a salve. Oh,
1: I love a salve.
2: We have the gender doula, Eli Lolliott on the podcast. And he... I'm excited. I know, me too. Every offering I've seen of Eli's, I'm just like, oh,
1: I want to do that. And I want to do that. And when you introduced me to Eli, so how do you know Eli? Well, I came across
2: Eli because of a workshop that he did with Sea Grape Apothecary. And like, if anyone's not familiar with Sea Grape, we actually picked up her products really early on at Pleasure Chest. She was doing like oils and balms and a couple like kinky things too. Really beautiful stuff. And she's got an amazing witch shop now. You can go find it online. They offer their workshops virtually. And Eli did a tarot workshop with them, Mm. which was phenomenal. And I'll let him speak to it. But about just an expansive approach to the tarot, a gender expansive approach. Mm -hmm. And so then I did some research on his work, which his core work is as a gender doula, which I was like, whoa, what is that? And when I was reading on his site, he was talking about being exposed to the work of doulas and this idea of, you know, any kind of transformative process that you're going through that the work of doulas can support you. I was like, yes, of course, because, you know, we've talked to a birthing doula now, right? We've spoken with, uh, so that was Ryan DiMartino. Vanessa Carlisle, a death doula. And so now we're going to talk to Eli, who is a gender doula, helping folks through any experience that they're having in terms of reevaluating their relationship to their gender, specifically to folks who are transitioning, for family members of folks who are transitioning. And I just really love his approach. And I'm excited for the listeners to hear from him about his work. And I think, you know, on a day where you're feeling a little spicy, yeah. <laughs> Eli might just help soothe. I have a feeling he's gonna be a very soothing energy.
1: I would love a little soothing and I love this idea of a doula for transitional periods. I feel like we need a puberty doula. Ah. Yes. You know, I would love to have somebody that I could call upon for my kids to just be like, bro, this is about, (laughs) this is what you're going through. I'm here for you. I mean, I want to be that person, but I know like your mom isn't like the ideal person. That's why I'm trying to, I I do want to get all uh, as much of my body and sex education in before Mm -hmm. they, you know, don't want to hear it from me at all. Yeah. Or, we got to trade kids. I mean, the
2: other thing though, I mean, I think that this is shown in the research that if you start having the conversations young and just about things like bodily autonomy, the thing that you did taking them into the bathroom and being like, you want to learn about menstruation? Chances are that they will actually come to you. I think that the reason that our generation and the generations before us didn't go to our parents is because they had fear around mm-hmm. having the conversations. And I just recently was part of a really cool conversation. You know that I'm on the board of Seekus, Sex Ed for Social mm-hmm. Change. We're going to have Chris, the president of Seekus, yes. on the podcast. I'm very excited. Planned Parenthood actually did a really interesting study because, you know, there's been all this negative messaging or from the alt-right around mm-hmm. quote-unquote comprehensive sex ed. So that's now a bad word. Unfortunately, <sighs> it's been branded to mean grooming, for Fuck. Oh right. God. But Planned Parenthood did a really deep dive with parent focus groups to get mm-hmm. at what their fear around sex education is. And a major block for parents is that they are afraid that if their kids get education in school, that then they're going to come home with questions that they don't know how to answer.
1: Oh wow! So
2: once parents see what's in sex education, even folks who are really anti-sex ed and have kind of bought into the negative messaging about it are like, oh, actually, no, I absolutely want a professional talking to my kid about that. But that's really scary because I don't know how to field the questions that they're going to then have about their bodies and consent because we just don't have a foundation for it. So So, yeah, so parents like talk to your kids and be okay with the fact that the conversations are going to be imperfect and sometimes Mm -hmm. you're going to have to say, I don't know, let's look it up together.
1: Well, okay, let's not look it up together. (laughs) Let me look it up and see what I can find because yes, yes, (laughs) yeah, but yeah, and I'm actually looking for, and if anybody wants to write in or comment with a suggestion of the perfect kind of teenage sex manual, not manual, but you know what I mean? Like, do you have the one?
2: There is a book that just came out. I think it is called Spilling the Puberty. P-U-B-E-R-T-E-A. That might not even be the name of the book, but that definitely is their social handle, Spilling the Puber Tea, but tea is like, you know, a drinking tea. It is a new book that I think just came out this year and it's a really good resource. So great. this was a very long way of me saying, actually, Robin, I think that your kid's are going to talk to you because you've made it a safe space to have the
1: conversation with. You. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's you- yeah. All right. We did it. <laughs> All right. Let's see
2: what Eli has to share with us.
0: Hello, Eli. Welcome. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here.
1: We're going to run some rapid fire questions past you. Just fun little questions. What is inspiring you right now or who?
0: Oh my God. (laughs) Like everything. I love that. What's inspiring me right now? Venus probably is very inspiring to me right now. I love it. I just built a Venus altar and I've been doing a lot of Venus work. I'm specifically inspired by the idea of the protection of Venus, as in what protection comes from having an open heart, Mm. because I've been doing a lot of protection for a long time. And this is like sort of a new dimension of that. So that's been something I've been sitting with a lot lately.
1: Would you call yourself a witch? Yes. Yeah. Who was your first celebrity
0: crush? oh wow the first one that i really went bonkers bananas for was like <laughs> titanic leonardo dicaprio
2: <gasps> me too <laughs> that's sarah's <laughs> oh my gosh okay so what was it for you about leo in that movie
0: i actually okay this is gonna like be such a mind-boggling thing to hear and to say i've never seen the movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you know what? That kind of makes sense because there's it's so in the zeitgeist.
0: Yeah. Like I remember my friends watched it and I was like, this is boring and I didn't watch it. Um, but I was crazy about Leonardo DiCaprio and I put posters of him everywhere, you know, like cut out of the little teen magazines or whatever. Yeah, like his With fake. the little creases on them. Yes. Oh, my God. Listen, I was obsessed.
1: I loved his
2: scrappiness. I feel like he was such a reflection of the dykes who later Mm -hmm. I was attracted to.
0: (laughs) I can totally see that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then paired with the high feminists of Kate Winslet. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I could I could talk about it for
1: a while, (laughs) but I digress. (laughs) What was your first mode of masturbation?
0: Oh, I think it was probably like rubbing up on things. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like yeah. at some point I rubbed up on a pillow or something and I was like, whoa, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> and that was kind of where it all began.
1: Yeah, but we're finding this to be super, super common. How old were you? Mm, I'm going to say like
0: pubescent,
1: you know, 10 or 11. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you have a particular favorite like pillow or anything? because Sarah's was a Cabbage Patch doll.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't recall.
2: (laughs) Okay. I am so excited to have you on the podcast because I feel like you have this really expansive offering. I mean, it's just like you do a little bit of everything and I love all of it. And when I went to your site to just get some more info on, you know, what's your core practice, you were speaking about the role of doulas in general, kind of helping people through liminal spaces. So before we get into the particulars of all of the magic and the support that you give to people, I'm just curious how you define what a gender doula is, because it's my understanding that that's sort of your primary role, but correct me if I'm wrong.
0: No, that's definitely my primary role and everything else that I do is related to or in service of that calling. Gender doula is such a specific framework that I chose for the work that I do because, well, first of all, I received this calling after hearing a full spectrum birth doula on a podcast talking about full spectrum birth doula work. And one of the ways that she discussed it was that she said we need a doula for every threshold mm. and that was erica livingston and when she said that i was like oh we need to have doulas for transition but i was in grad school and i was applying to law school and i was like cool idea for anyone else that not me to do <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was like a very long hanged one i think about eight months of going from that to like i'm going to leave academia and not to go to law school and become a gender doula. And it was profoundly uncomfortable and challenging.
1: I mean, it sounds like a gestation.
0: Exactly. You're 100% right. It was eight months in the cocoon, in the shit, mm-hmm. being soup, you know, all the things. But to the doula of it all, part of the reason that I chose doula as the framework to hold the work that I do is because doulas, A, are the support that comes around the system, So, Mm -hmm. like, a system doesn't hold people, it doesn't support people, it's inadequate, it's often Mm -hmm. violent. And doulas Mm -hmm. are sort of the insulation that tries to make that system somewhat more human for people, and that tries to, like, hold them as they are sort of buffeted by this terrible system, all the systems of this world. So that's part of it. Part of it is, like, the medical-adjacent nature of doula work Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. is, like, you are in the room with the doctor, but you are not a medical professional. Mm -hmm. And that's like a very specific role that I feel like because my previous experience was 10 years of Academic research into trans medical everything. It was like, I have this very deep well of knowledge about medicine as it pertains to trans people mm-hmm. that I can bring to my clients, but I'm not a doctor, uh, not a medical doctor, <laughs> a PhD, but I'm not a medical <laughs> doctor, right? So that was part of it. And then part of it is like the spiritual aspect of the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not all doulas identify as witches, but there's a lot of crossover. Like a lot of the people who were burned for being witches were midwives. Mm -hmm. you know, like this has always been woven together. So for those and other reasons, it made a lot of sense to me to bring this all under the umbrella of doula.
1: I love that explanation of doula. I had a doula for my first birth, a birthing doula, and they were exactly all of those things that you said. And to have someone there for other aspects of your life, especially something as confusing and possibly traumatic as transitioning, Is really wonderful. Is this something that you created or is this something that you are joining a revolutionary force of people?
0: That's a great question. And it's a complicated answer. It is something I'm creating. And also, at almost exactly the same time that I started creating it, someone else had the Mm. exact same idea. Mm. Because there's the need is there. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the ideas are sacred, these mm-hmm. types of ideas, and and they're seeded into multiple people simultaneously.
1: When you talked about it as a calling. Yeah. And I think that when your heart led like that, it's
0: happening. It's like grass growing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But I had checked for like genderdula.com as a website and it was available. And I was like, cool, I'll reserve that in like a few weeks. <laughs> and a few weeks later, I went to reserve it and it was taken. Oh. But it was taken with someone who already had their full website up. So I was like, perfect. So I emailed that person and I was like, what the hell? We have the exact same idea. Like, let's talk about this. And so we did. And they're not currently working as a gender doula. They're a chaplain. And my understanding is that they're in that part of their career right now. But they did work as a gender doula for several years. And as I have created this sphere every time someone is doing this work and they come to me I try to like fold them into my network of people right and so I have like a little discord server that I'm fostering and I always encourage people if you want to do this work or if you are doing this work I want to know you. I don't believe in competition. My dream is that eventually we would have a robust network of people and we could all be supporting each other. So I'm not the only one. And also, it's a very tiny group of people. I think my whole Mm. Discord is like less than 10 people. Also, yes, I have been one of the main people who's been creating this into a career.
1: Okay, I just have to remark on your non-competitive. When you said, oh, somebody else had it, and you didn't go like, ah, oh, damn it, they got to it before me and like all this stuff. You saw that as a way to find other like minded people and as a way to build community. And then you continue that as people find you through this. It's, it's I love that. Good job. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah. You just exude generosity. hmm. And so I just imagine that working with you just feels like, I mean, you were describing the role of the doula and what I was seeing was frayed nerves. Like you just need that like cushioning around them. Mm -hmm. Like like that's what it feels like when you're talking about your work. This kind of soft cushion that goes, it doesn't fix necessarily like Mm -hmm. the source of the pain or the trauma or the struggle that someone's going through. But sometimes it's just like, that soft place to land that can make all of the difference yeah so you're taking people through pretty transformative journeys and i understand that you also help families who have trans family members incorporate and integrate this transformative experience and support it Is there a particular practice or tool that you feel comes up a lot with clients or maybe right now is something that just happens to be presenting itself a lot and being really just showing up?
0: One of the most common things that I talk to folks about who are in early stage exploration is just not using labels. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people come to me and they're like, I don't know if I'm trans. I don't know if I'm non-binary. I don't know if I'm a man or I don't know if I'm a woman. I don't know. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like all of those are unhelpful, just not helpful. Right. A practice that I like to use with people. I also use it in my class. Re-envisioning gender is disconnecting from labels and understanding that Any label that we use is inherently connected to a framework, some of which will describe us and some Mm -hmm. of which will not describe us. And that's true for everyone and every label. So if you are asking yourself, am I trans? And you don't want the answer to be yes, you will find all the things that don't fit. And -hmm. you'll be like, "Okay, no, I'm not. Or you'll use it to like have imposter syndrome. I couldn't possibly be trans because I don't have this, this, this. Right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you may want to adopt a label. And again, like you'll be like, oh, this and that, like, do feel good. And that feels really exciting. And then when you get into a self doubt moment, you'll be like, oh, but I don't have, right? So it's very unhelpful. I find it to be quite damaging, actually. So one of the things that I think is really good, especially at the outset of gender exploration. And each time we return to gender exploration, because I don't consider this to be a Mm one-time gig. Mm -hmm. And that is being like, what are my values and how do I want to show up in the world? And how do I see myself and how can I actualize that? And making those sort of the North Star rather Mm -hmm. than am I label, if that makes sense.
1: I love that so much. I was thinking just today about how you know, the labels largely, some of them we make for ourselves, some of them, uh, most of them are given to us by a very oppressive system that is making these rules up that are more about control of people than it is about actually who you are so then we're trying to take these things like you know am I gay am I straight or as though there's like two choices you know and we are expanding the vocabulary but I feel like as the vocabulary gets more and more expansive as we're making our own words for it and everything I can feel like the whole it's like um Alka-Seltzer it's like fizzing away of this like oh but actually it's it's just individuals and and we can use labels if they're helpful but we don't need to define ourselves by labels, I, right. you know, I, I'm in love with you already. So this is—it's
2: <laughs> <laughs> taken me a long time to get there. I have to say, because when I was coming of age and realizing that I wasn't actually asexual, that I was queer, I remember finding certain labels like
0: mm-hmm. queer
2: fem where suddenly i felt like i had a home and yeah. then i feel like i went through this journey of being a little gatekeepery right around mm. those labels and so now like as i'm kind of in midlife i'm only now finally kind of at a place of like <gasps> What would it have been like to come of age in a time when, like, yeah. I love this visual of the Alka-Seltzer kind of dissolving, where it just becomes this bubbly sort of soup <laughs> that we're <laughs> floating around in, where there's space within all of our identities to be both and Mm -hmm. I can't, I just can't relate to having come into my identity within that context, but I have a lot of curiosity around what that would look like.
1: I've always felt like I'm a non gendered person driving a female body around. But I know not everybody feels that way. And so for me, it's like it's a relief to have the gender dissolve. But I don't know how other people that feel strongly about their masculinity or their femininity, that it's innate in them, if they're feeling like, you know, the labels are empowering.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good thing to bring up because I don't want people to hear my spiel on labels and be like, oh, I'm not allowed to have a label or labels are bad. My feeling is that labels are unhelpful at that part of your journey.
1: Right, And Mm
0: -hmm. that when you are more confident in how you show up in the world and how you are embodying and enacting your most authentic self of that moment, right? Because that also changes over time. But when you're feeling comfortable and you're like, oh, I feel so good in this queer space and I feel really good using this label to be legible in that space. Mm -hmm. Great. Beautiful. Love it. If a label feels good to you and generative and juicy, enjoy that. And also don't be so invested in that label that you create a mythology of yourself that isn't available Mm. for shifting and changing as Mm -hmm. you shift and change throughout the course of your life.
1: (sighs) It's a bit like clothing in a way, right? It's like you don't want to try to fit yourself into something that isn't your style or isn't made
0: for your body. Actually, it's funny because, like, you know, in the pandemic shutdown phase, we all were wearing comfy clothes all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And all of our bodies changed, or most of us had our bodies Mm change. And after the pandemic shutdown phase, I realized that all I was ever wearing was stretchy clothes. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I want clothes that change with my body so that I don't have to think about it and be like, oh, no, nothing in my closet fits me. And I found this brand, uh, shout out House of Flint. (laughs) and she makes clothes that like change with your body. Like the designer has pictures of herself in the same pants at like no pregnant and like eight months pregnant. Love this brand. And it's slow fashion. It's not cheap. So I have to save up for it. But I've ordered a few pieces and it's such a relief to have clothes that can just like fit regardless. Oh, heaven. So yes, exactly like that. I love that as an analogy.
2: (laughs) Great good. (laughs) (laughs) I got introduced to your work, Eli, through the tarot. And we've already talked about the fact that you identify as a witch and that you bring spirituality into your work. And so I'm really curious how rituals show up in the work that you do with clients or maybe just even in your own practice.
0: Yeah. Rituals are huge in my own practice. With clients, I think in my ideal universe where there are hundreds of gender doulas of every different type and persuasion, I would be like the super weird witchy gender doula that you (laughs) work with when that's the vibe you're looking for. That's
1: our favorite vibe. (laughs) Yeah, the same. But
0: in this current timeline moment where there are so few of us, I do always come to folks who come to me with an option that they do not have to be exposed to my spirituality if it's something that doesn't vibe Mm -hmm. with them. And this is because people have different relationships to things like tarot cards. And for me, they're so generative and for someone else they're triggering, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. when I start a client relationship, I always say, hey, I'm a spiritual person. I use tarot. I talk about astrology. If you don't want me to bring that into our space, just let me know and I'll never bring it up. And I've had people who started off by being like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. And then we worked together for a while and they were like, hey, could you pull a card for me? Right. And then I've had other people who were never into it. Right. And then I have other people who are like, I love tarot. Bring it. You know, so Mm -hmm. like. It's really dependent, as everything that I do is always dependent on the individual that I'm working with and what their Mm -hmm. needs are, and that's how I'm going to orient myself. But with that said, with folks who are available to it, ritual can be such an important part of everything that has to do with gender and our lives in general. I mean, I do so much ritual in my personal life, and with clients, ritual can be such a helpful technology around HRT, Sometimes clients who are using an injectable form of HRT might have anxiety about doing Mm. injections or might just have anxiety around HRT in general. So having a ritual that they're doing weekly with that can help. I always tell folks block off infinite time, you know, so like have all day to do this. And when you feel ready, have a ritual that allows you to like come into that space. And we talk about different ways to design that and then do your injection. And it doesn't have to be that elaborate each time. But if you do that the first few times, you'll start to develop that comfort with it. And it will start to become like ritualized, right? Like the magic of ritual where it no longer feels like this scary thing, but it starts to feel like an important part of how you show up for yourself every week.
1: It's like mindfulness and calming your nervous system, becoming you know, aware and in the present. That's a really wonderful way to approach that sort of thing. Cause the body, like especially with daily injections, can get just physically repulsed sometimes over time where you just like doesn't want to do it anymore. And that's a yeah. wonderful way to like be present and with your spirit and your body.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then for folks with medical anxiety, will often use ritual as a way of mitigating that to some degree when top surgery is coming up or another surgery. Um, top surgery is just the most common where I will often work with them to create an anchor phrase through a mm-hmm. ritual that they can then take into their surgical experience as a way of grounding and rooting. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have medical anxiety, but it's just, you know, surgery is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to do a ritual around that. I also have done name and pronoun release rituals mm-hmm. or renaming ceremonies so mm-hmm. ritual comes in in many different ways in the work that I do and again like sort of in my ideal world I feel like doing ritual all the time would be so beautiful.
1: Yeah. It's really missing from American culture. Deeply so. You know. Yeah,
2: yeah. Everything that you're saying, I'm resonating with so much. And just thinking about how even through the process, like you can be engaging with something that is getting you closer to your truest self and develop the medical anxiety and the Mm -hmm. trauma through the process. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like what you're describing is just such a nice way to mitigate the negative impacts of all of the systems that people are having to come into contact with and the microaggressions yeah. and all of these sorts of things. Oh, so lovely.
1: Yeah. In particular, transitioning, even if you're in a area where it's more commonplace and accepted, there must just be so many people that you have to deal with. The medical system that are uneducated or even bigoted, especially outside of
0: city centers. Even in city centers, I've had clients who live in places that would stereotypically be considered like a good place to be trans, Mm -hmm. and I am their first point of contact. And so they're accustomed to me, and then they Mm -hmm. go talk to a doctor and they come back to me like, What the fuck? (laughs) I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, like, of course, there are good doctors out there but not many to be honest and even in an office with a good doctor if the staff is untrained the doctor it doesn't matter how good they are right right? and if their paperwork is bad there's like so many different places in the system that break down. Yeah, And that's in a system that's already violent and broken and awful for pretty much everyone.
1: Yeah. If you're doing a really commonplace, well, you could do knee surgery and this is your experience.
0: Yeah, literally. Yeah.
1: You're based
2: out of California. And so, so far... I'm knocking on some wood over here. We haven't seen a lot of negative changes to the laws and ways in which bodily autonomy and gender affirmation is getting heavily policed. But are you experiencing an uptick in people across the country needing support?
0: Mm. It's been steadily getting worse for years now. I would say where I notice it in my work is the level of stress yeah, and also the specific requests. Like when I first started doing this work, I was not necessarily having people wanting to leave the country or move to a different state and like a refugee capacity and now i do have that and you
1: work across state borders
0: i work internationally oh wow okay yeah i have clients all over the world but the majority of my clients are in the u.s and canada and the level of support I'm able to give to international clients is different because my academic work and my medical knowledge and my insurance system knowledge is very much US-based. So mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot more knowledgeable about Canada, especially British Columbia, because most of my clients are BC folks. I just think it's like a West Coast thing. But primary knowledge that I have is the US.
2: Yeah.
0: One thing that I've said before on socials and is that like, I've studied trans history and the current backlash is not a surprise to me. You know, Mm -hmm. like six, seven years ago when I was in PhD school, I remember having a conversation with a law professor who was a intersex rights activist teaching me gender and sexuality law. And we were talking about cross-dressing laws and how when we talk about cross-dressing laws in the past, everybody was like, wow, that's so wild. I can't believe that it used to be illegal Mm -hmm. to cross-dress. Aren't things so different now? And she Mm. and I were both like, It's a matter of time like it's literally yeah. a matter of time before cross-dressing laws come back and then two, like two three years later we started to see this right so like yeah. if you study the history and you see that all of this stuff is just cyclical and it comes back every 30 to 50 years this moment is not surprising in any way but I think that most people don't have the benefit of that long view and this moment is particularly intense because of the level of exposure yeah. and so it's been a big shock to many people especially we had a huge amount of people come out during the part of the pandemic where we were all shut in mm-hmm. a bunch of people were like oh shit my gender or sexuality yeah. during that moment and then i think for those people to still be like little baby deer wobbly legged, mm-hmm. and then like mm-hmm. get hit with this has been a really harsh experience
2: yeah 100 percent. we had a guest on last week leo aquino i know leo Oh, great! Amazing. I just wanted to shout out one of his resources because he is on his site queerandtranswealth.org putting together some guides for folks around if you you know if you are considering moving, the costs of yes. living in different places, and I just that just occurred to me that that's a really great resource for people to check out if they haven't already.
0: A hundred percent. And Leo's awesome. He's one buddy. Everybody <laughs> should follow Leo. <laughs> (laughs) It was great.
1: What do you think this time period is similar to? Like, would you compare this to like the McCarthy kind of 50s?
0: It's different from all the other times. But the other backlashes that I would point to would be the 80s and the AIDS crisis, the Mm -hmm. 50s. And when Christine Jorgensen came out, there was a huge spike in visibility and every spike in visibility has followed a pushback, right? and then the time before that would have been world war 2 era or just before world war 2 and then the time before that would have been i think like the 1870s but i'm not 100% solid on those dates
2: i think that us not having a good sense of history is by design. Yeah. Yes, you know, we've course. talked really sure. about this a lot that information that we receive, the education that we have, is so limited and it serves the patriarchy and capitalism. And we are misinformed. And there's such a loss of generational knowledge in yeah. our yes. community that it can feel very much like the first time. And not Mm -hmm. only that feeling of being isolated and alone, but then, you know, you're positioning that within a historical context where you don't have good knowledge of like, no, we have made it through this before. And here's the framework for surviving, thriving, fighting against the powers. Like it's just a lot of that information gets lost.
0: Mm -hmm. It does. And that's absolutely by design. And I will say just so that it's said here, because I would say this in every place I possibly could, the way that we get through this is together every time. And we only ever, ever, ever can rely on ourselves. And so when the whole push for marriage equality happened, I'm not sorry that it happened. I think it's great that we have marriage equality. And also we got really dependent on cishet people (laughs) to give (laughs) us things. And that is never something that has like ended in a positive way. We always need to rely on each other. We always need to turn back to our community. And it's very challenging in a community where many of us are traumatized and in a white supremacist capitalist culture where we've all had our community and earth connections broken. Mm -hmm. And even still, it's okay. You can still turn to our community. These Mm -hmm. are skills that can be learned. And the only way that we get through this is together. Mm
1: -hmm. It's a mind shift. It's a lifestyle that you exemplified when we were talking about that website thing, not to keep calling it back, but it's like just a way of being where you, why would we compete with our community? Yeah. You know, we got to get more community focused because that's part of the trick of capitalism is having everybody competing against each other so nobody mm-hmm. collaborates and rises up. Exactly. Fuck that. Okay.
2: <laughs> I'm going to make a hard left because I really want to talk about the tarot with you. <laughs> both Robin and I are big lovers of the tarot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of This marriage of art, kind of universal energy and archetypes, and then something that can be ritualistic. I'm curious what drew you to the tarot.
0: Honestly, I found tarot because I was in my first year of grad school and my body was falling apart and I was dealing with immense trauma from all sides and everything that I had ever done had only made it worse. And I was like, I think it's time for a spiritual practice.
1: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) It's wise.
0: (laughs) And because I was raised conservative Christian, but I had, from a very young age, had been like, this is not the vibe. (laughs) And then I went hard atheist because I was like, fuck Christianity. And then in that moment of intense struggle... I was like, I don't know anything about anything, but I know that there is something about queerness and transness that is sacred, and that's where Mm -hmm. I'm going to plant my roots. And so my practice of queerness and transness as spiritual and as something that I find to be just continuously unfolding, like the sacred and the divine aspects of that, has been from the beginning. But part of that for me was then turning to tarot as many things that I tried, many of them did not stick, but tarot did. Mm -hmm. So I started off with being like, what the fuck are these cards? (laughs) Like, what is this about? (laughs) I'm trying to figure this out. There's so many of them. How the hell am I going to memorize this? Everybody has all these different things to say. My first major tarot teacher was Lindsay Mack, Tarot for the Wild Soul. And I took a couple of courses with her. And I also learned a great deal from Julia Inglis of Sacred Familiar, And I started to develop my own relationship with the cards. And I started to learn the cards in a way that was not so tied to old timey sex and Mm -hmm. gender values. Thank Um, you. Yep. And as I started to do that, I really resonated with them so deeply. And I just continued to build that relationship. And it's one that I still use almost every day.
1: Do you have a favorite deck? Mm-hmm. Mine are two straight, I feel like, you
0: know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My reading deck is Slow Holler, which I hesitate to recommend because if you find it, it's like $1,500. It's a pretty rare. Um, oh, I was writing it down. <laughs>
1: Damn it. I'm so sorry. Right. I'll, I'll cross that out. Could okay. you have any like in the $50 and under range?
0: <laughs> so, I would say like one of the um folks who I'm really obsessed with right now is uh Charlie Claire Burgess, um who created Fifth Spirit Tarot, mm. and then they just had a book come out which is sitting right next to me right now called Radical Tarot. Mm. So, I would recommend picking up their deck, Fifth Spirit Tarot, and their book, Radical Tarot. I think that that is a really good deck for queer folks and liberation minded folks to get familiar with. Great.
2: Oh, I love it. I still have my collective tarot from gosh, was it the early two thousands or late nineties, like the Portland crew. And I love it. It's so well worn and I have such a connection to it, but it is starting to feel dated.
1: Mm.
2: And I've tried a lot out and I haven't found one that I have connected to. So I'm excited about fifth spirit tarot. What do you do to queer tarot to break it out of these binaries? I mean, I know that there are certain decks that you can use, but I feel like you can also work with it in different ways and interpret cards in different ways. I'm just curious how you approach it in a way that expands it beyond the original kind of binary that it was created under.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the sad things about so many of these spiritual technologies is that because they were popularized by cishet people, people don't realize that they are just queer. Like, to me, everything spiritual is queer. Like, I'm sorry that cishet people dumb it down. That's a sad thing that happens. But, like, inherently, <laughs> if it's mm-hmm. spiritual, it ain't straight right and like that's a hill i'll die on so i think that the tarot is queer and i think that yeah of course you can use it just like any spiritual technology you can use it in a way that props up systems of oppression but Mm -hmm. wouldn't be me because yikes i don't know what kind of shit you're calling on yourself if you're doing that but like Mm -hmm. to me the whole tarot is queer and the question is how have these archetypes been twisted into shapes that serve oppressive structure, rather than how can we find the queerness in them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the question is more about pushing away that version of it and being like, that doesn't make sense, and reorienting to what does make sense. And I, Sarah, you came to my tarot class with Grape, right? Yeah. In that class, I talk about rather than trying to be like, okay, this is too loaded a term like Divine Feminine, Divine Masculine are too loaded, similar to the label thing. there's The framework mm-hmm. has a lot of noise in it. Yeah. But when we say the word feminine or masculine, we know what we're saying. So mm-hmm. how can we accurately relay this concept in a way that's precise, right? Mm -hmm. And so the class that I taught, Gender Expansive Tarot, we looked at using contrasting energies that were not inherently gendered as Mm -hmm. ways of elucidating the aspects of these archetypes that are maybe obscured by the gendering or that vibe with us, right? So one of the examples that I used was the above ground part of a plant and the below ground part of a plant, Mm -hmm. right? Those are not gendered, but they're two contrasting energies that have a lot Mm. of richness in them that you can use to talk about concepts and to get really deep into what a card means to you without having to rely on concepts that don't have any stable meaning over time and space like masculinity and femininity So I think in that class, I taught the Empress as being sun energy uh, with the contrast being moon and being above ground energy with the contrast being below ground. And so when we're talking about that, we're talking about what does the light of the sun feel like, how it changes throughout the day, how it interacts with leaves and flowers and fruits, how fruits drop to the ground and then feed below the ground. So it's still connected to that contrast. I mean, it was very rich, right? But this is how we're sort of like elucidating the meaning outside of this sort of boundaried structure that isn't helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Eli, do you have any favorite cards or energies in the deck or maybe just something for this time of year that you feel like is a card that folks can work with?
0: Oh my God, I have so many. The card that I call the Trans Card of the Tarot is the Eight of Cups. And the reason why is because the Eight of Cups represents a time when you have already been on a path for some time, and you've invested in it, and you've worked really hard on it, and you've put a lot into it, and it feels like, wow, this is so huge, I could never walk away from it. And yet you must in order to grow. Mm, yeah. And also, in walking away from it, the path ahead of you takes a sharp curve very quickly, and you cannot see where you're going. And you mm. just have to trust that if you walk that path, you will eventually get to a place that you are happy to be. And it's so scary, and it feels yeah. so tenuous to leave behind all of those cups that you've invested in for all of that time. And that, to me, is such a specific like transition moment. Yeah. So that's one of them. (laughs) I love that. Yes. I think also one of the things that's so beautiful about the Eight of Cups is that the next card is the Nine of Cups, which is wish fulfillment, like dreams coming true. Mm. And it's like, okay, this moment's really scary, but you're going to have the Nine of Cups. You're going to have the Ten of Cups. Just keep going.
1: So relational. It's the relationship between the cards that also matters. Mm We've got to get out this idea that we're individuals standing on our own. You know, we're part of a much larger life force and to care for each other is actually so much strength in that
0: a hundred percent. I mean, I think that with both tarot and astrology, when you realize like in tarot, the archetype itself is one thing, but when you understand its place in the whole, Mm. you're like, Mm -hmm. Oh shit. Right. And astrology is that way too. Like I Mm -hmm. can know that I have this and that it's Mm -hmm. so much more helpful to be like, Oh, this is where this is in like this whole cosmology and the relationships that it's holding and all of the connections so that I can know if I'm in this moment, I won't be in this moment forever. No transit lasts forever. No tarot card lasts forever. You move through.
2: Yeah. That interconnectedness is such a lovely call out. I love that. Oh gosh. Okay. Eli, where can people find you? What is your favorite thing that you are working on right now?
0: As far as where people can find me, my website is thegenderdoula.com. My social media, I think currently I'm only on Instagram slash threads, and it's thegenderdoula. So my current offering is I'm doing breathwork for queer and trans holiday stress. It's sliding scale. There's scholarships available. I really want people to be able to avail themselves of this as a way of relieving stress. It's going to be really gentle breathwork sessions. This is not going to be sort of like the big intense emotional release type stuff. We're just going to try to like relieve stress and like have a gentle time in community and then the thing I'm most excited about, last month, I taught a collaborative workshop with Zell Amanzi of Transgressive Medicine, and we taught accessing transcestral wisdom. So we taught about learning how to get in touch with the ancestors and how to have a transcestral practice. The number one feedback that we got from people who came was, This was great. I wish it was longer. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually turning it into a four-week class for May of 2024. And we're gonna go very, very deep into transcestral practice and how people can connect with transestors. There'll be experiential aspects where people can learn different things, different technologies, and hopefully some sort of communal practice as well where people can talk to others who are in the group. So it's gonna be very robust and it's already like the two-hour version was so cool. And the four-week version is going to be incredible. So that's my most exciting thing that I'm working on at the moment.
2: Oh, that is exciting. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I pulled a card from my little bag of sweary affirmations for you. (laughs) And for listeners, this card popped out for Pelvis Wrestling as well. And I love that through line and connection here. (laughs) Your future is a golden, sparkly explosion of fucking awesomeness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Thank
2: you so much for spending this time with us today. It was heartwarming, enlightening, educational. I I loved it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much.
1: It's very soothing to be around Eli and everything that they're talking about it's so community focused it's so permission giving and healing focused
2: yeah I do have to say his PhD <laughs> also was really showing I mean the moment where he shared about trans history yeah I mean, not trans history so much as uh, moral panics around mm-hmm. queer and trans people I that blend of heart-centered work but that's yes. also deeply rooted in I mean he's got such an extensive knowledge base that he's pulling from from a lot of different modalities yes that it's just like, oh, yes, you are in really good hands. And I love that he is in conversation with other gender doulas. Yeah. He's taking on this kind of mentorship, crone role mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is really inspiring to me.
1: Uh, that website thing blew me away. It's the little things, you know, that really shows you where somebody's coming from. Yeah. And just that competitive fervor that we're all trained. And scarcity. Scarcity, fear, anxiety. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Because somebody else is going to get it. Oh, I'm so sick of it and it's so soothing. Like, that part alone blew me away. Yep, It's really lovely to meet people that are so sincere and heart-led and really just want to help in the way that they know they're best at. It's very comforting.
2: Well, and he's got that vibe, energy of, you know, when someone is a true teacher Mm -hmm. and is on their path, Mm -hmm. it's just really clear, you know? And I think that that's how Eli feels to me. Yeah. I, I just appreciated things slowed down in the conversation. Yes. All the background noise, which I am very susceptible to just a very present hour with him and yeah it was lovely. So I really hope people will find him at the dot com on Instagram at thegenderdoula. There's lots of different ways to work with Eli. And there's still two breath work workshops. And I love that he was describing that it's a gentle practice because mm-hmm. that's what people need right now. And sometimes there's like this weird culture around breathwork where it's gotten like, you know, it's like hot yoga. We're like, right. be extreme about it. And I, I mean, I know that that works for some people, but mm-hmm. I think especially around the holidays and working with queer and trans folks or anyone who's experienced trauma, it just sounds like his approach to breathwork is really right for this moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, just the general approach of caring for yourself, maintaining your boundaries, because that is care for yourself and everything. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to do when we see family or are just put in indoors with a lot of people. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Make that space for yourself however you can, yeah.
2: Well, what do you think about pulling out our tarot decks and pulling... A card for each other. Well, Sarah, that would
1: sound like some fucking healing shit. Fucking healing shit. If you're enjoying our new stings.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Please let us know. Yeah, courtesy of Kristen Smith Davis. Yeah.
1: Because I'm enjoying making them. them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so
2: fun. Okay. I have pulled a card from my Dirt Gems deck. So I'm showing this to you. Mm. It's so beautifully illustrated. It's got certain suits that are in color and others that are black and white. And the illustrations feel kind of collage to me. Mm, hmm Lisa Delise, oh yeah, season one. Fuck yeah, the pleasure herbalism introduced me to this deck because it is a plant oracle deck and guidebook. So it's it's tarot adjacent. Okay, beautiful illustrations of plants and communicates their energy and gives you the message from those plants. So I have pulled anemone. Mm. And let me tell you about anemone. It is the wind rider. Anemone is the wind flower. Open your window, let a rush of fresh air wash over you. Watch the curtains blow, and know that this windy bloom will help you remember what it feels like to be here and now, loosening the petals of your heart. An enemy shows us old, stuck, determined places in ourselves. Perhaps they are wounds or simply tired beliefs. An enemy lifts your shutters and lets the wind dust your corridors. An enemy is for the obstinate, but also for the fragile. Closing at night and reopening in the morning, an enemy knows how to protect resources, how to shelter, how to open to the world at the right time. Anemone has long been called the diviner of weather systems, known for conveying when rain is impending and closing their petals in anticipation. Mm -hmm. We learn from Anemone's rain divination to pay attention to what is around us, to all the signals we receive and respond to subtly with attention and devotion." Anemone is a loosener of the often strongly held self-preservation patterns in our thinking, Hmm. habits in our body that live in preparation for the next disaster, or the belief that doom is inevitable. Yes, disasters will come some days. Holding a sense of awareness and preparedness is essential to our survival. But living in a state of hypervigilance will overburden the systems we need in order to survive and be okay. Anemone dislodges some of these deeply entrenched beliefs. Hmm. Anemone says, release your petals to the wind. (laughs) I
1: feel like it might be
2: some medicine for you today. Yeah, yep.
1: no, I could use it. I could use it.
2: That's really beautiful. So that is the dirt gems.
1: I love dirt gems.
2: We appreciate so much, listeners, that you are on this journey with us. Mm-hmm. It has been a transformative one for us. Uh, we hope that not only will you find Eli the Gender Doula on social or visit their site or take part in one of their classes, but we hope that you will find us on the socials at fuckyapod, yeah TikTok, Instagram, Threads. You can email us if you have guests or questions or anything that you'd like to share with us at fyapod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our email list on our website fuckyapod.com and please give us a rating review the podcast
1: subscribe until next time fuck yeah Fuck Yeah! Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review.
0: And don't forget to share with a friend! You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.